Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Lord, we do come to you this morning for help. We need help, Lord, to settle our minds, to clear everything out that's distracting us, that would draw us away, and cause us, Lord, help us as we focus and look at the Lord Jesus, his beauty this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, this is a very important history here of the temptation of the Lord, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. Okay, so here in our last study, we saw how the Lord started his public ministry with his baptism. That's in chapter 3. And when he came out of the water, it was such a glorious time, as we saw in the last verses of chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, where it said, when he was baptized, he went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I mean, that was such a picture that scene. He's emerging out of the water. He's coming out of the water, and when he does, heaven opens up, and the Spirit of God, like a dove, comes and lands on him. Then comes the voice of God the Father, sounding forth like a trumpet, announcing him, saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It was a tremendous time. It was a glorious time. It was just wonderful. And we need to keep in mind, when we read chapter 3, and it says, okay, that's the end of chapter 3. Now we start chapter 4. We need to keep in mind that there was no chapter breaks in this book, or for that matter, in any book of the Bible. And so, with that in mind, it, it makes the word in verse 1 of chapter 4 so much more important when it says, then. 
going right out of the baptism, glorious time there, we go, then he's led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil in verse 1. So, in other words, right after that, after this great time, the Spirit leads him right into the wilderness to be tempted. So, I mean, it's a lesson for us when we see something like that is that it really couldn't be better expressed by the famous saying of the samurai Tokugawa who said, after victory, tighten the straps of your helmet. (laughs) That's what he said, you know. I remember that so clearly because I was in Japan when I first learned about that, and we had fought a battle against this company who actually had sued us, you know, Nichols. And um, it was a long story, and I don't want to go into it all. But just to say that we were enforcing our patent against them, and we had won in the Japanese courts. And so we went out for a victory dinner with our partner, our distributor, Sumitomo. And so we went out for a victory dinner, and at this victory dinner, they had in the little room that we were in, they had a Shogun Samurai's helmet, you know, there along with his code. Anyway, and they had the helmet, so they took the helmet off the statue and they put it on me, <laughs> which was ridiculous. But anyway, and it had these straps down there, and they said to me, you know, the saying, after victory, tighten your helmet straps. In other words, get ready for another attack. Well, this is what's happening here. I mean, here was a joyful time when the Lord was baptized, and right after that, he goes into these battle of these waves of temptation. And so that was a time for the Lord to tighten his helmet strap. And same for us. We think we've had a wonderful season of blessing. There's been a great happiness in our lives, and we're tempted to say, wow, it's going to be clear sailing from here on in. We're going to just going to have a wonderful sail all the way into the harbor of heaven. Troubles are gone, you know. That's what we need to really take to heart, this picture that we see here of the Lord following his baptism. In other words, it's just like the hymn says, my soul be on thy guard. 10,000 foes arise and hosts of sin are pressing hard to draw thee from the skies. Oh, watch and fight and pray. The battle ne'er give o'er. Renew it boldly every day and help divine implore. Ne'er think the victory won, nor once at ease sit down. Thine arduous work will not be done till thou hast got the... Those words couldn't express better. Maybe the other words from the hymn, Am I a soldier of the cross? That asks the question, Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? What a picture, (laughs) bloody seas. So the equivalent, the biblical equivalent of this saying, after victory, tighten the straps of your helmet, is really what God told Israel in the book of Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10. Deuteronomy 8, 10, God told Israel, When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Israel was in the greatest danger of temptation to forget God when they had eaten and were full. Now, normally, we think of and all of the temptation, 
sort of foolishly wandered into some dangerous territory, tempted. When you look at verse 1, it's totally different. The Lord didn't wander into some territory. It says here that Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The Lord was led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted. In other words, this was a purposeful action of the Holy Spirit. He led the Lord Jesus to be tempted. Well, you know, that raises a big question. You know, why? You know, why? And why do you think? Why do you think that the Holy Spirit intentionally led the Lord Jesus to be tempted? What are your thoughts? Why do you think? Okay, so let's cover these three points. Okay, first of all, this is the first operation of the Spirit of God after the Lord Jesus is baptized. And we have to keep in mind, he came to save the world from sin. The first thing that the Spirit of God does is to drive him out of the world. He came to save the world, but he drives him out of the world. And so this is raising several questions, but they all center around the Lord's mission as the Messiah, his mission as the Messiah was expressed in his name, in the choice of his name, in Matthew one twenty one, when the angel said to Joseph about Mary, she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So his mission is to save people from their sins. It says in 1 John 4.14, 1 John 4.14, we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. What a title. The Savior of the world. So he's sent to be the Savior of the world. That means he's sent to free the world from the bondage, from their bondage. And the world is in bondage. The world is in bondage to the devil, as stated in 1 John 5, 19. 1 John 5, 19 says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness, or as NIV, the New International Version puts it, this 1 John 5.19, 1 John 5.19 in the NIV says, we know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So the whole world's under the control of the evil one, and and specifically, that control is in three areas. It's the world in 1 John 2.16, 1 John 2.16, where it defines those three areas. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, it's of the world. So the world's controlled by the power of the devil, and the weapons that the devil uses to control the world are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is how the world is controlled by these lusts and this pride. So in order for the Savior of the world, in order for the Lord to be the Savior of the world, he needed to have personal victory over these three areas to show that he's not under the control of the devil, which is what Paul is making here. So this is the first purpose that the Lord had being attempted, was to personally show, demonstrate, he's not under the control of the devil. He needs to have this personal victory before he enters his public ministry of freeing souls from Satan's power. So he starts off, and he has an example for it. Just as the Lord could not go on with God, so to speak, could not go on with his ministry as a man of God until he overcame these three key temptations. Every believer, it's the same way. Every believer, in order for that person to be a man or a woman of God, 
and to go on with God, to progress in his ministry, that person has to also, as the Lord did, overcome in these three key temptations. In other words, just as the Lord chose God over being satisfied with food, or over satisfying the feeling of hunger, the Lord chose God over satisfying the feel of hunger by turning stones into bread. When it comes down to choosing between God and pleasures, every believer to go on with God has to renounce pleasure in order to go on with God. And just as the Lord chose God's way over his own way, in other words, his own way of jumping off the temple to prove he's the Messiah, when it comes down to choosing between God's way over my way, every believer has to renounce his own way in order to go on with God. And just as the Lord chose God over gaining the world, which the devil was offering to him in the last temptation, when it comes down to choosing between the world and God, every believer, if he's going to go on with God, has to renounce the world. This is what happened here. That's why in order for the Lord to be starting his ministry here, but in order for him to go on with his ministry as the Messiah, it was important for him to have these three key renouncements, to renounce pleasure, to choose God, to renounce his way, to choose God's way, to renounce the world, to choose God. So the Spirit of God leads the Lord Jesus to be tempted so he could pass the test in order to go on with his ministry and be the Savior of the world. So that's the first reason. The second reason for the Lord to start his ministry is because in order for the Lord to be the Savior of the world, the Lord would fight the devil as a man. So the Lord starts his work on earth as a man with a battle with the devil, and he ends this work on earth as a man with his greatest final battle and victory over the devil at the cross. That's where he finally defeats the devil. So this is important also as it sets the course. I think it's a point that Elizabeth was making here. This is the importance because it sets the course of his battle with the devil. So it's appropriate that he starts off with a battle with the devil there. The Lord's a fighter. And the third reason for the Lord to start his ministry by when this being tempted is because the Lord is our great high priest. He's not just our high priest. He's our great high priest. Nobody in the Old Testament had this title of great high priest. They had he starts off his ministry by being tempted, showing that the Lord could be tempted. First of all, it shows us the Lord could be tempted as a man. And that made the Lord a special high priest to us, which is the point that Diane was making, which is from Hebrews 4.15, Hebrews 4.15, where it says, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So these three key temptations here, in a general sense, they encompass all the temptations that you and I face in life. So from the start of his ministry, he endures these temptations. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And what we see with these temptations is how we look at them here, and we're going to see this, is that they increase in ferocity. They're increasing in intensity. They're increasing in drama as you go from well, you know, you're turning desert into a bakery full of bread. And then the next temptation is to gain the admiration 
of all Jerusalem and all the people by casting himself down in the temple. And then finally increases in intensity to gain the whole world. Gain the whole world. So that shows how the devil operates, how he increases the intensity of our temptations. First of all, it's interesting that there are here three temptations. That means there wasn't just one. There were three. Which meant that the Lord had to overcome the first temptation, and that did insulate the Lord from facing the second temptation. And when he overcame the second temptation, that didn't insulate him from facing the third temptations. So that shows us, that teaches us, that if we win over one temptation, that doesn't guarantee us that we're not going to face another temptation. And looking at these temptations, you know, like that, you know, the one, two, three of what he faced there, it can seem a little discouraging. Oh, I just fought this first one another. I won. Oh, another one. Oh, no. You know? I mean, it can kind of get you down. But on the other hand, the good news is there wasn't a fourth one. <laughs> there wasn't a fourth one, and that's encouraging that there wasn't a fourth one because it shows that in the case of the Lord, and in our case too, our temptations are numbered and metered by God. If the devil had his way, there would have been a fourth one. There would have been a fifth one, and then never ending. But no, the Lord makes it very clear about these temptations in 1 Corinthians 10.13, 1 Corinthians 10.13, where it says, there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. So God is numbering and metering and measuring the temptations that we face and say, okay, that number, no more, okay, that intensity, no more. And it's all designed with the goal so that we're able to bear it, overcome it, and be successful. Okay, now, so the Lord Jesus, he's our shepherd, and he knows what we have to suffer, and he says, and so that now it's the Lord Jesus who is saying to the devil, this far and no more. And the devil has to ask permission. He has to ask permission. Well, how many and what intensity can I? And this is what we see in Job. In Job 1.12, in Job 1.12, we see the devil appearing there and he's asking for permission. It says, and the Lord said unto Satan, behold, all that he hath is in thy power. So that's his possessions. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. And so Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So he had a permission to go so far, Satan did, and he couldn't go any farther, and that's what's that. Okay, now, in verse 1, we see for the first time this new character appears. We haven't seen it before in the Bible, in the New Testament here. So he has the name of the devil. Now, we see from the account that, first of all, that the devil is a real person. He's a person. And he's a person, as we can see from this chapter, this account here, he's a person who thinks, he's a person who responds, reacts, and strategizes. He's a person who seeks to persuade. He's a person who seeks to influence. So he's introduced to us in this fourth chapter of Matthew, and really in this fourth chapter of the New Testament. And just as he was introduced to us in the third chapter of Genesis, in the third chapter of the Bible, the word devil in Greek means the slanderer, slanderer. In other words, someone who speaks against someone like an accuser. And 
we saw from Genesis 3 that the devil also has the ability to possess animals. Don't ask me how he does it, because I don't know, but that's what it's anyway. You see that. In Genesis 3, 1, Genesis 3, 1. It's very interesting when you look at the passage where he first appears in Genesis 3, and you compare that with this passage in Matthew 4. We think back on Genesis 3.1. Genesis 3.1. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. The serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. What a world of trouble started after that. So, seemingly good advice, seemingly, and harmless, but not so. So, what we see about the devil in this passage in Genesis 3, is that he's subtle, he's crafty. He's subtle, he's crafty. Now, the devil tempts, but the devil doesn't force. You know, if Eve had said, the devil made me do it, which actually she did. But anyway, the devil made me do it, that's false. Because the devil only tempted Eve to do it. The devil did not make or force Eve to do that. Eve did it from her own free will, although she was influenced by, but nevertheless. So we see from the history there and the history here, and as a matter of fact, the devil is actually called in this passage of Matthew 4, the tempter. He's the tempter. So the tempter entices. He entices. And that's how the devil is described as an enticer in 2 Corinthians 11.3. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says... But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So this is the devil. He's a tempter. He's an enticer. Okay, you can use the word seducer. He's a seducer. But when the Lord goes to describe the devil, he chooses two words to describe him in John 8, John eight forty four. John 8, 44, he says to to his enemies, you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer, that's the first word, from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar. So those are the two words that the Lord uses to describe the devil, murderer and liar. And the devil has a realm in which he's the prince, in which he's the king of. And this realm is described in Revelation 16.10. Revelation 16.10, which says, the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. So the devil is the prince or the king over a realm called the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of darkness. It's a kingdom of pain. It's a kingdom of darkness. Now, this term, the devil, that's used here in the Bible, the Old Testament doesn't have this term. You will not find this term, the devil, in the Old Testament. Instead, it's the word Satan, Satan, Satan. And 
you ask yourself, well, what does that mean? Well, it's interesting because we have a unique kind of uh, opportunity to see the definition of this term, Satan, Satan, in what King Solomon said to the king of Tyre, named Hiram. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at TomCantor at FriendshipWithGod.org. Tom Cantor at FriendshipWithGod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 